How are y'all doing tonight? Y'all? Um, is it possible? Is it, sorry. Is it possible to turn the lights up a little bit? I just want to like, so I'm, I'm going to share a bit of a confession. And I feel like if you're going to look at me in my confession, I want to look at you. So if, <laughs> so if, if that's possible, some sort of light so that I can see people a little bit better. So truly, a bit of a, a bit, I'm starting off with a confession. Um, oh, thanks. Uh, so um, this is embarrassing. Um, the, I shared this with the RA team uh, at the beginning of the year, so they know this story, and so you're going to have to hear it again. Um, sorry. Um, but here we go. Okay, so I was, I was 21. I was not here yet at Summit. I was going to a college called Mohawk College. Um, does anybody know it? Oh, all right. Um, okay, so I was at Mohawk College. I was studying to be a social, a social worker. That was my original, that was my starting off spot. So I was a commuter. So shout out to all the commuters out there. Uh, so I was a commuter and I commuted about 45 minutes away. And um, yeah, oh, the groan, thanks so much. Yeah, so 45 minutes away. And then, uh, so I was a commuter at school and I also had a part-time job. And so I was working as a personal support worker um, in, uh, I'm gonna say some names of places that you guys don't know, but I'm still gonna say them. So I was living in Cambridge. The school was in, uh, Hamilton, which is 45 minutes away. And then I was working in Waterloo, which is about 30 minutes away from Cambridge. So I had this like 30 minute, like on either side life. And, um, and then I was involved in my church. I was involved in the young adults group at my church. And so my life was quite hurried. It was quite busy. So perhaps some of you might might, you know, feel the, feel a, a connection here with me. So 21, commuting, 45 minutes, living with my parents and working and then volunteering at my church. And so I was doing that for two years. And, um, and so I was very, very, very unhurried. I was very hurried. I lived a frantic life. My parents, whom I lived with, never saw me. Um, and I was just here, there, and everywhere. I was catching Wendy's and Burger King and McDonald's as, you know, on the fly because I was constantly going from one place to the next. Didn't have time to catch a meal. Uh, is any of this registering with anybody? Yeah? Some? Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. So um, to go to school, I would take Highway 8. And so Highway 8 is sort of like, um, maybe like Highway 10, if, to get you a sense of what it's like. Okay, so it's like a single lane highway. Um, it's a highway, but not a highway. Uh, and so I, I would travel through on Highway 8, then to 52, then to the 403, then to the Link, then to Mohawk Road. That's how I would go. Um, <laughs> so... I was driving down Highway 8, and I was actually headed, headed home. And so actually, I was headed home from, from school, but I was heading home, like ditching my stuff, and then moving on and going to work. And so I was driving, and um, I needed to get to work in a time frame in which was legally impossible. And so I did what any person would do. I just drove faster because that's what I did. Does anybody resonate with this? Yes, okay, so I was driving too, far too fast. I was illegal. Uh, I was going, it was, a, it was an 80 highway, and I was going 120. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so hold that, pause, hold it. Okay, so I was driving down Highway 8, actually I was heading back up Highway 8, and um, you know how, you're like, oh, there's no one, there's no one on the road. I am laughing. 
and I'm just booking it. And then I see that there's a car coming toward me. And I think, oh, I should probably slow down a little. And um, as I slowed down a little, the lights went on. And uh, yep. And so then I was like, rats. <laughs> and <laughs> so I pull over and the, the cop pulls around and, you know, says, gives me the spiel about, do you realize that going 120 on an 80, if you hit anyone, you will kill them? I was like, I'm so sorry, sir. It's just that I'm going from school and then I'm going to work and I just am really, really busy. Yeah, well, this hurried business is not helping you whatsoever and it will kill another person. Okay. And I'm like, you know, 21 and me. So I'm crying. Uh, <laughs> so so I, this, this is a clear, clear definition of me um, having an unmanaged life. So, you know, you would think, one might learn. One might learn. However, I was on my way to school one day. Yeah. So this is probably, I don't know, two months down the road. You know, short enough that you can still remember. Long enough that the sting has worn off a little. And so I'm, I'm driving down Highway 24, which is Hespler Road in Cambridge. And I'm driving down 24 to go to Highway 8. And as I'm going down Highway 24, I have to pass the police station. So obviously, obviously, you slow down at the police station on this road, which is a 60. And then, obviously, if you're a careless person who's not present at all, you speed back up. No one, none of you would ever do such a thing. But I was foolish. and. <laughs> I was foolish. And so I sped back up and I got up to about 80 on a 60 on a major road in the middle of town. And I hear the sirens and the lights and I get pulled over right in front of my church. I am not lying right in front of my church. And the police officer says, do you realize you were going 80? And like, of course I knew I was going 80. I was like, do you realize that the speed is 60? Here's your ticket. Like, that was it. I'm like, I don't, I have nothing. I have no leg to stand on here. I was illegal. I was illegal. So about two months later, just, just past this, the point of sting, but still in the place where one might remember, I'm driving home from work. And I'm driving down Lang's Drive, heading towards Lang's Circle, which is where my parents live. And um, is that weird that I, it's, that's not out there in the world. Hmm. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> okay, anyways. So I'm driving down Lang's Drive. And out, down Lang's Drive, there's a school zone. I've learned. I moved slow. I was good. I was good. So just after the school zone, there's a stop sign. And I am needing to get home because I need to get to young adults because I have to be there because I'm now on the worship team and I have to get going. And so I get to the stop sign and it's a three-way stop. And so the, 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 this way is clear. Right over here, there's a cop car. And I think, oh my gosh, I have a bad track record with cops. So what do I do? I want to get away. What do I not do? Stop. Yep. Yes. Right there. Right in front of him. Because of fear. I broke the law because I was afraid of breaking the law. Not a word of a lie. Not a word of a lie. Here I am so fearful of being seen <laughs> that I run through that. So the lights go. 
go on. And like I, the cop hasn't even gotten to my car yet and I'm already in tears. And he says, do you realize there was a stop sign? Do you realize you're supposed to stop at those? Here's your ticket. Like, that's it. Like, I've got nothing. I have nothing. I, I get a little bit panicky when I'm near a cop. Um, so here's the thing. When you get three tickets in six months, when you have your G2, which is like having your N, when you get three tickets in six months, they can take your license away. So I get a letter in the mail saying that I have to go see Susan at the, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a real name, but Susan. I have to go see Susan at the Ministry of Transportation. I have an appointment with the principal is what I have. And so I am going, this is now, mm, this is August. And so like, this is etched in my brain. I know the months, like this is etched. Um, so I have to go to Kitchener and I have to go to the office, the ministry office, which is where I had my test for my G1. That stung a little. Anyways, um, so I'm sitting in this office of this woman that I don't know. And she says, do you realize that you've had three tickets in six months? Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, do you realize that I can take your license away? I said, mm-hmm. She's like, is there any reason why I should let you have your license? Susan. And I was like, uh, yes, you see, ma'am, part of my job as a personal support worker, <laughs> and I was laying it on thick. I was like, for personal support worker, for people who have some disabilities, is I have to drive them around. How terrible was that? I was using somebody else's disability for my own accord. How awful. Ugh, that's awful. That's ho- terrible. So, um, so I'm sitting in her office bawling, saying, I need this. I need my license because I need my job. And, but for the literal grace of God, I kept my license. Thank you, Susan and the Lord. (sighs) Okay. So like none of this is like, this is absolutely real. Like I have been so foolish in my hurried life. And we all can guess that in my hurriedness of life, while I am traveling at an insane pace physically, we can all gather how well I'm doing internally, yeah? You can gather, like, where I, things are not going good internally. I am completely, I'm completely hurried as a person. So in class, because I'm a student, I can't concentrate once at all. I can't concentrate on what my teachers are saying. I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm always in the next place that I need to go. I'm always in my car thinking, what's the next thing? I'm constantly in a state of stress. I was constantly in a state of stress. It was awful. Like, okay, this is too much information, but I'm going to tell you. Like, my gut was out of whack. Like, I wasn't, people, I wasn't even pooping right. Like, this is, the way, this is where things were at. Like, the amount of stress, the hurriedness was affecting my body. But it was affecting me and my personality. I was so distracted. I was so, I was offended very easily. I cried quite quickly. Not much has changed there. Um, <laughs> that might just be me. Um, yeah, I was eating terribly. My devotions with God were dismal. Spits and spurts. Not very good. And uh, this was my life for two years. This was my life because I said this is what my life had to be. I assumed this is what my life had to be. This was my lot in life because I went to school here and I worked over there and I went to church here and this is where I lived and this is my life. This is what it's supposed to be. And I could, I wish that I could tell you that when I was finished, 
at those two years at Mohawk College, when I flew over here to BC and did my four year, three years here at Summit, that my life was much different. I wish I could tell you that, but that's not the case. Because I'd whip up and down this hill like a crazy person, you know, like just not mindful of other people. And I wish that I could tell you that when I graduated as a mature woman who's now a pastor full-time, I wish that I could tell you that when I was a full-time pastor, that my life was much different. But it wasn't. I was so hurried. I was ridiculously hurried. I lived within 15 minutes of my church in Richmond. So I lived uh, just down number four road. Um, I was doing well in ministry. Ministry was good. It was successful. It was successful. I was functioning, and yet I was functioning at a place that was at an ungodly pace. It was ungodly. And um, (laughs) what's funny is the distance between my church and my home, but 15 minutes, what happened? Again, I got another ticket. Yes, that's right. That's right. I got another one because my life was so hurried. And the reason why I was hurried was because I was overcompensating for my insecurities. The reason why I was hurried was because I had overcommitted to people at my church. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll go to that. Yes, I want to go there. Yes, I want to eat there. Yes, I want to do that. I was overcommitted and I was hurried. I was spending time with the Lord, and that was better. That was better. But man, I was still hurried. My life, I walk at a hurried pace. I, I have done ministry from a hurried place. Like when I say it, this is a confession, like I literally is a confession. I have lived my life in a hurried pace. I have to actually stop myself. I have to actually check myself when I'm walking in the academic building and say, Kim, you need to walk slower. I actually have to do that because I function in hurry. And functioning at that pace is never, ever what God ever asked me to do. Never. There have been people my parents who have said, Kim, you need to slow down. There have been signposts, literal signposts that say, Kim, you need to slow down. There have been police officers that have told me, you need to slow down, ma'am. Ma'am. Ugh, that's the worst. That's like salt in a wound. Um, and the Lord, the Lord has said, Kim, you need to slow down. And then this past May, Gavin and I read a book, and we gave it to our our RAs to read as well. And so it's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. We've talked about it before. Might I recommend? And there's a chapter, and that chapter pretty much just slapped me in the face again about how I need to slow down. Now, I know. I know I'm a unique individual. I know that. But I am not that unique. I know that my life is not that different than yours. I know that. It doesn't matter if you're a student and I'm not. It doesn't matter if I have a full-time job and you have a part-time job. It doesn't matter. Because our world functions at a hurried pace. We all feel hurried. We all feel hurried. And so tonight, I believe that God really wants to say again to me and to you, maybe again, maybe for the first time, you need to slow down. This is not what I want for you. So in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro addresses the hurried life. And he says to sort of combat the hurried life, Uh, a leader, or really just Christians, need to slow down for loving union with God. 
he notes that slowing down for a loving union with God is not just a great devotion life. And it's not nailing those spiritual disciplines. It's not an emotionally charged service. That's not slowing down for a loving union with God. See, those are things that we can do quite hurried. Can we not? Can we all agree that we can have a devotion life, that we can have a great church experience, or that we can do spiritual disciplines and we can still feel hurried? Yeah. So loving union is allowing Jesus to actually access all of our life. In loving union, we allow the will of God to have full access of every area of our life. So this is the leading question here. In what ways does our current pace of life enhance or diminish my ability to allow God's will and his presence full access of our lives? How is our pace affecting our availability to God. We're going to, for the next few minutes. Yeah. So while it says in my notes, but Kim, you don't know what it's like, obviously, as we've talked. I think I do. I think I do. You might say, but Kim, I've got this darn Spishu's assignment that's coming up in a week. Ugh. How do my values influence my strengths? I don't know. And you just want to get it done. (laughs) You might say, I have work or I have ministry hours. I got to tell Jerry that I did my ministry hours. But I do know what it's like. I do. I lived it. I'm living it now. Our circumstances may change, but the hurried pace won't. The hurriedness won't, unless we pay attention. Okay, so in Mark John Palmer's book, The Restless, sorry, not Restless, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I put this in simply because I knew you would like it, so here we go. (laughs) Nate, this one's for you. (laughs) Okay. So actually, he doesn't say this. He quotes one of his favorite authors, Ronald uh, Rolls-Higher. And so he starts off by saying, and it's not up there, but we'll get there. So it says, today, the number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult, not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have an interior depth whatsoever. We, for, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Whew. That's a biggie. Pathological busyness. Now, we get caught up in this pathological busyness, can't we? We can. We can get in there. When we start to think about all the things that need to be done, all the things that we need to do, all the places we need to be, all the times that we need to be somewhere, it leads us to a place of hurriedness, doesn't it? And when we become so hurried, we we aren't present at all. We aren't present with God. We aren't present with people. We aren't even present with ourselves. In our series on John at the beginning of the year, we spent significant time looking at how Jesus dwelt among us. So he made his dwelling among us 
It says in verse 12 of chapter 1 in John that he made his dwelling among us so that we who would receive him and believe in his name would be called children of God, so that we would have a loving union with him, that we would abide in him, as John 15 says, that we would love him, as John 14 says, that we would be present with him, as it says in Revelation, author John, um, chapter 3, verse 20, which says, here am I, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's God's heart for us, to abide with him, to eat with him, to love him. But it's hard to abide with him when we're in such a hurry, isn't it? So here's another fun quote for you. So there's this book called Three Mile an Hour God. It's a great book. It's written by a man named Kasuge and he writes this, love has a speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from our technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our lives. Whenever we notice, whether we notice or not, at three miles an hour, it is the speed we walk and therefore the speed the, uh, the speed of love, the story, the speed the love of God walks is three mile an hour. So while we're frantic, while we're hustling from one appointment to the next, from one class to the next, from one coffee shop to the next, while we're hustling, God walks three miles an hour. And I believe that he's saying to us tonight, Just walk with me. Just walk. Slow down, my child. Just walk with me. So how do we do this? Great question. Thank you for asking. So how we do this. First off, let me remind you of two sermons we have listened to in the last two weeks. Number one, spend time in the Word of God. Let our roots Row down in the word of God. To know God through his written revelation, that takes time. It takes time. Secondly, spend time, spend a day with God. Take a Sabbath. Hmm. Take a Sabbath where we can stop, stop the hurry, stop the franticness. Stop the work. Consider, contemplate, delight in God. Having fun can take time, right? Good fun can take time. These two practices alone, I can just say, refer to the two sermons, mine is done, but I'm not going to. But those two things, when we implement reading the Word of God, taking some time to Sabbath, those already slow us down. They already do. So I'd like to add a couple more to the, to the list of things that we can do to slow down the pace of life. I'd like to add two. One, reestablish the priority of prayer and reclaim the sacredness of silence. So let's talk about reestablishing the priority of prayer. So Jesus had a pretty significant to-do list. And yet he refused to let his to-do list propel him into a fury of hurry. I really wanted to say fury of hurry. (laughs) Okay, so Jesus, he did. He had this to-do list. Now, you might say that's a little bit of a, I wouldn't call it a to-do list, Kim. Well. Fair enough, but here we go. These are the things that he needed to do. There were disciples to teach. There were crowds to feed. He had people to heal, friends to mourn with, weddings to attend, synagogues to teach in. He had rulers to challenge and kingdoms to overthrow. Pretty hefty to-do list. 
When we compare Jesus' to-do list with my to-do list or with your to-do list, his seems a little bit heftier than yours or mine, hey? And yet, he did not live a life that was hurried. He allowed himself to function at a pace of love, three miles an hour. He allowed himself to function at a pace that people could interrupt him. And he did so so that he could be fully present with people and be fully in sync with God. All of these things, the crowds, the friends, the disciples, they're all really important. And all of them, many of them, super fun. Weddings, <sighs> laughing with his disciples, hanging out with kids. And have you ever wondered what it would be like for Jesus to walk on water? Like, do you ever wonder how much fun that was for him? Look at me, just walking on the water I created. How cool. Like, I think that that would have been fun. Ugh. He's got all of these fun things that he would have done. And there are so many, so many great things that he could do that he did. And yet, and yet he prioritized prayer. He prioritized prayer and time with the Father. In Mark chapter 6, verses 46, it says that after he had multiplied the loaves, he took time away from everybody and he prayed. And then immediately before choosing the 12 disciples, it says in Luke chapter 6, it says that he went up to the hills to pray. Before Peter confessed that, in fact, people say that you are Christ, and I say you are Christ, in Luke 9, it says that now it happened that he was praying alone with the disciples. And he asked, who do people say that I am? Immediately before the, trans, uh, the transfiguration up on the mountain, it says in Luke 9 that he took Peter and John and James and they went up to the mountain to pray. Before he taught the Our Father to his disciples, he spent some time in prayer alone. Before the crucifixion, spent time in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are so many things on his to-do list, some of them extremely life-giving, some of them draining. And yet Jesus prioritized prayer, prioritized the presence of his Father to determine the pace of his life. He, he could have just knocked off the to-do lists, but he constantly stepped away from his leadership, his leadership responsibilities in front of people. He stepped aside and he spent time with the Father. Jesus exemplifies for us what loving union actually looks like, what it looks like to actually do life with the Father instead of doing life for the Father. How often are we doing life for God instead of doing life with him? In prioritizing time spent in prayer, Jesus slowed down so that he was in sync with the Father. As the fa and so that's why when the text says that the Father is in him and he is in the Father, it is because he prioritized prayer. And in him routinely slowing down and stepping away from his active work, what he did was he entrusted the Father. He entrusted God with the outcomes, with the circumstances, with the problems, with his ministry. He trusted God with the outcomes. And as a result, every action that Jesus took was rooted in a place of deep peace because he took that time and centered with God in prayer. How often do we feel like we're constantly doing the to-do list? We're doing and we're doing and we're doing. And how often do we feel like we're just simply crossing things off the list? Do you know what I mean when you've just done something that's been life-giving and you sort of crossed it off and you have this thought of, shoot, 
I should have enjoyed that more, but I'm so busy that I didn't. Yeah. Jesus prayed, so he didn't have that. Hmm. And how often do we feel like we need to control the outcomes, right? Like, I want it to be this way. And so we, we're so concerned with the outcomes and the circumstances and our ministries that we don't actually take time and prioritize prayer. And that that might actually slow us down so that we would be at a pace with Christ, with him. Jesus is calling us to slow down. Slow down. Prioritize prayer. It will keep us in loving union with God, not just doing for God. So let's say, or let me just say this. This is, I think, really important for us, for who may, you know, have a little bit of FOMO. In Jesus saying yes, establishing his priority on prayer, he is saying no to something. He's saying no. So, he's saying no to a boat ride. He's saying no to the convenience of independence. He's saying no to lower standards. He's saying no to just chilling with the guys. He's saying no to power. And he's saying no to life without pain. That is what he said no to when he said yes to prayer. Slowing down by reestablishing a priority of prayer will mean that we have to say no to something. What do we have to say no to? Does it mean that we have to say no to playing cards until 2 a.m.? Does it mean that we have to say no to that other coffee, to like spending three hours at the coffee shop? Does it mean that I have to say no to staying up late so that I can get up early so that I can spend time with the Lord? Does it mean that I have to say no to hanging out um, for four hours with the same person that I've hung out with for four hours every single day because I think they're really cute, right? Like, oh. Ugh, that one stung him. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Too far, Kim. Maybe not. But it, we do, we have to say, when saying yes to prioritizing time with the Lord, to have loving union with the Lord, we do need to say no to something. What do you need to say no to in order to prioritize? Loving union with God, prayer time with God, being in the presence of God. So let's reestablish our priority on prayer. Secondly, lastly, that's a great thing with two points. Let's reclaim the sacredness of silence. So how many kind of shudder at the word silence? We don't, yes, Raiden, oh yeah. Yeah, we don't do silence very well. And I'm not just saying here in this room, in our world right now, we don't do silence well. And when I'm talking about silence, I'm literally talking silence. No talking, no music, no music, no office or friends running in the background as white noise. None of that, none of that busy, that's none of that business. That's not, that's not, that's not silence. We see it, we feel so uncomfortable being in the presence, just being present with our presence. So uncomfortable. You notice how people like walk around with a Bluetooth speaker while they're like at a, like in a trail. Can I tell you that drives me bonkers. I hate that. Ugh, ugh. Anyways, okay, so who does that? Did somebody do that? Is there somebody in the room who must confess? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so as we looked at Jesus prioritizing prayer, let's note that the fact that he held on to silence as well, and he held on to a, the sacredness of silence. 
In many of the texts that I referenced previously, it often talks about how Jesus went into prayer and silence. And we see this when Jesus, um, when he steps out of the Jordan River. So in Matthew chapter 3, it, we see um, right at the very, very end of the chapter, Jesus is baptized. Um, and so it says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Then chapter four says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So the Greek word for desert here is eremos. E-R-E-M-O-S for those in Greek class. Okay, so what this doesn't mean is this doesn't mean a hot, sandy place with camels. That's not what this means. What this means is a desolate place. It means a solitary place. It means a quiet place. That's what desert means. So this quiet desert, ooh, sorry, quiet desert, desolate place is the place that God led Jesus. That's where God wanted Jesus to go. There was something sacred about that place that God wanted for Jesus. And this quietness, 40 days of quietness, is what prepared him for what was to come on day 40 when the enemy came and tried to tempt him. It was the quietness, the quietness and prayer that prepared him to be able to respond to Satan and to win the battle. It was the quietness and the prayer. In having this concentrated time in the desert, in the quiet, and then, as we have seen, taking time for quiet and prayer, Jesus knew that there is something sacred about silence. That's why when Jesus sent off the disciples and then they came back and they were telling Jesus what happened, in Mark chapter 6, it says this, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because there were so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me. Be your, um, by yourselves and go to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus knew the benefit of the sacredness of quiet. He knew it. He lived it. And so he offered that. He compelled the disciples, go, you've been busy. You've done a lot. You need silence. You need quiet. Because silence is a place where the Lord forms us. He restores us in the silence. He reveals his presence to us in the silence. That is often not how we feel about silence, is it? We typically run away. <laughs> We don't want it. And we think that God isn't present, and yet God is so present in the silence. Here's the thing about silence is we feel so uncomfortable about it. Because we can unplug the speaker, can't we? We could put our phone on airplane mode. We could do that. We could silence the things around us. We could stop the Gilmore Girls from playing in the background. We could do that. But the thing of it is, is silence, that kind of silence, the external silence, doesn't actually silence what's going on internally, does it? That's the real issue. That's the real issue. Because silence has a way of showing us who we really are. And silence has a way of showing us what we really think. It's often, once we get rid of the external noises, right? We turn everything off, we shut it down, and we attempt silence. This is what we find. The rolling insecurities, right? That's what we find. We find the rolling thoughts of judgments of others, the sins that we have hidden, the sins that have been forgiven that the enemy tries to lord over us. In the silence, we have the conversations that we never had, that we wish we could have, that we could have given them to it, you know, like we could have given them a real zinger. We re rehearse those conversations that we've never had. That happens in the silence. 
We catastrophize in the silence. We fantasize in the silence. So unplugging, reading a book, sitting quietly in front of a fire, staring at the flame, taking a walk in the woods. Those are all very good. I highly recommend all of those things. But what's inside? How loud is this stuff inside? Because it's the sacred silence that addresses the noise internally. That's the noise. That's the silence that we can have with Christ. When we take time in sacred silence, that's the stuff that God wants to address. And then he wants to say, it's okay. And not in a demeaning way, but in a parental way, saying you don't have to be so loud anymore. Slowing down in silence is scary, can be scary, because we could think of it as a desolate place. We could think of it as being stuck with our own thoughts. We could think of it as looking at ourselves in the mirror and not liking what we see. That's what silence could be. That's not sacred silence. Sacred silence is where we meet the presence of God, where he looks at us, where he says to us, son, daughter, I'm yours and you're mine. You don't have to live this hurried, hustled life. I can quiet the things that are stirring. I can quiet those. And sacred silence says, here, take the things. That's what sacred silence does. So we're going to end with that. We're going to end with a little bit of sacred silence. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're done. So this is my, my promptings. There's some promptings there, Abby. So loving union is allowing Jesus full access of our lives. So then I'd like for you to actually reflect, what is the pace of your life? And how is the pace of your life affecting your openness to God's presence in your life? Secondly, what do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to prioritizing prayer? And how can you embrace some sacred silence this week? Let's take some time right now reflect. And we thank you that you walk with us. That you pace at a pace that you desire for us. And you say, come pace with me. We thank you for your pace. A pace of love. Thank you for that. Lord, we recognize that we have hurried lives. We have things to do. We have good things to do. But Lord, we need your wisdom to slow down, to be in loving union with you, 
to do life with you, not just for you. God, we want to be um, people who are present, fully present with you, fully present with people, present to the beautiful things that you have created, present with our own selves. And some of that presence, that presence in silent feels scary. Lord, I pray for your comfort in the silence. It is good. You desire that for us. It's where you form us. It's where you transform us. It's where you heal us. It's where you speak. I thank you that you spoke in the still, small voice, in the silence. Lord, I thank you for even the things that you've spoken in the silence here. God, help us to be people that put this into practice. Help us to say yes to you and to prioritize time with you, prioritize prayer with you in your presence. And help us to be people who know when to say no and what to say no to. Lord, Help us to take time to lean into your silence, the sacredness, the holiness of silence with you. God, it truly is our heart to be with you. Nothing less, nothing less will do to be in your presence, to know you more. To have only you. We have sung these songs with our hearts and our arms lifted to you. And so, Lord, would you help us to live those songs out daily in these practices that are so practical? God, I thank you for your grace as we figure this out, as we figure out what life is living with you, not just for you. Thank you for your grace, for your wisdom, for your guidance. Thank you that you love us, that you walk with us daily. Amen. Bless you all. Have a great night.